um, I'll, I'll explain my situation, and then you, you, I'm sure you'll have, have a similar type of thing. We had lived in a house in Antioch for about 15 years, and, you know, you get used to going to work. I would go to church, you know, and the 100 times a week it felt like, and you just get in your mind, it just kind of etches in your mind what you're going to do. You get in the car, and it, you just go on autopilot, and you drive straight there, right? Well, when we moved, where we moved down to Oakley, everything changed, and there were a few weeks where I would get ready to leave uh, church to head back home, uh, to go home, and all of a sudden I would find myself going not to Oakley, but heading to Antioch, right? And then all of a sudden you're like, what am I doing that? And you'd have to get off the highway and, you know, all that stuff. Any, anybody ever do that? You just kind of get locked in, or you go someplace, and you're, you're just on autopilot, and you're heading in a wrong direction, and then your spouse says, I thought we were going to, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's right, right? I'm just, I'm just testing to see which way you know, where I can make a legal U-turn, yeah, right? And so we, we all kind of get into that uh, time where we just kind of, we're not thinking, essentially, is that, that's what we're doing, right? We're not thinking about where we're going and what we're doing, and we're just kind of like on autopilot. And, and that's fun and fine when you're just going off to the next exit, and you have to hang a U-turn on the highway or the next block, and you have to turn around. But, but here's the thing that I want to share with you guys, and I think you'll all agree. There are tons of times in our life where we're not thinking about what we're thinking about and our mind just gets like on autopilot and we sit and we find ourselves just kind of thinking right and we're not really paying attention to what we're thinking about in some cases it may be 10 minutes some cases it may be 10 weeks that we're thinking and we're not even realizing what we're thinking about just because our mind just kind of shifts into autopilot and we're not really concerned about it. And after all, I mean, what's the big deal? Well, here's what we're going to learn today. What we're going to learn today is that what you think about determines your feelings in your life. And your feelings determine your action or your behavior. All right? So oftentimes in our life, we're going through an emotional difficult time. There's a heaviness. There's a depression. There's a a hardship, maybe there's some behavioral issues that we're going through, and we're not, we don't connect the dots that what we're thinking about is how we feel, which leads to behavior or action. We just focus on our emotions, our depression, our behavior, or perhaps our kids' behavior, and we don't step it back and recognize that all of it comes from what we're thinking about. And so today, as we look at a very powerful scripture where Paul is speaking not to unbelievers, but to the church. He's speaking to the church. And so let me go over a couple things from last week. If you missed last week, you can grab a CD on the way out. You can always listen online. And this series each week kind of builds on each other, all right? So here's what we said last week is kind of a key thought. And it's more or less to kind of get, you, get your mind thinking. It's to create a little tension in your heart here. Our spiritual enemy will attack our minds whenever and as often as he can, even though and that I might be a believer. And I added that in there because, again, oftentimes we think that because we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that we have kind of this spiritual bubble over us and that our enemy isn't interested in attacking our minds. And the reality is we looked at last week's strongholds in your life. Listen, that's exactly where he's going to go. 
he's going to go after. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, does not exclude you from it. So let's work our way through. So why is that? If God, uh, uh, in your outline there, if God changes us through our minds, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. In other words, don't believe, don't act, don't think, don't, don't live like the world, right? And then there's a command in there, and he says, be transformed, right? In other words, change, right? Which is great. That's like telling a kid who's crying, stop crying. That doesn't work. I don't know if you've ever tried it or not. It doesn't work. Right? Then he tells us how. There's a command, and then he tells us how. And how are we to do that? By the renewing of our minds. So if God's going to change us through the renewing of our mind, would it not make sense that our enemy, our spiritual enemy, will not come after our minds as well? In your outline, if that be the case, if God changes us through our mind, then our, our spiritual enemy will try to change us by corrupting our mind. So again, the danger as believers is we're not thinking about what we're thinking about. And we just kind of shift into autopilot. And if you allow some of the strongholds in your life that we looked at last week, and it just kind of it fortifies in our brain and it becomes a truth that we believe. If we think on that, we're going to feel and then ultimately we're going to live based on an error that we're believing. All right. Are we following along? Okay. Second Corinthians chapter 11, by the end of it, you'll be completely confused and we'll leave here and we'll tell everybody it's 12 o'clock. All right, here we go. Verse one, if you have your Bibles, second Corinthians chapter 11, verse one, and I'll explain the context when we get through reading it. I hope that you will put up with a little of my foolishness, <clears throat> but you already are doing that. So Paul was a practical joker. Verse two, I am jealous for you with a godly jealous uh, jealousy. And I promised you to one husband to Christ so that you might be that you might present you as a pure virgin to him. Verse three. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Verse four. If uh, for if anyone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Okay, so let's let's get the context. Paul sees himself as the spiritual father of the church. Okay, he is the granddaddy. And he sees the church as his children, and actually he sees the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ, as a bride, okay? And we know through Scripture that the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ, the believers, are the bride and Jesus is the groom, right? And so as, as Paul speaks to not the unbelieving world, but to the believing world, he says, listen, what I want to do is I want to present you, the groom, I mean, sorry, the bride of Christ, I want to present you with a sincere, and we'll look into that in a minute, and pure devotion to Christ. That your mind would not be two-timing Christ. And that either when he comes or if when the Lord calls you home, that your mind would not be two-timing. You would not have your mind partially on the ways of the world and partially on the ways of, of Christ. That your mind would be pure, that it wouldn't be led astray like Eve's mind was 
mind was, it wouldn't be led astray that your mind would be completely focused on Christ. Paul understood that your thinking ultimately controlled your behavior. And if he was going to present the bride of Christ to be pure and sincere to Christ, if they were going to be fully devoted to Christ, that he needed to caution them about what they were thinking about. That their thinking was going to end up ultimately leading them in a direction in which he didn't want them to go. And so he comes, and again, it's not talking about the world, because you can read that and you kind of go, oh, he's talking about the world. No, no, no. He's writing to the church. He's not even speaking it to the, to the world. And so he goes to them in verse 2, in your outline, and he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. And so here in this context, it's good. He has a, as a, he has a fatherly attitude, and he wants to present his daughter, the church, he wants to present her to Christ, and he is jealous for her. And he, in your outline, gives a definition of what jealousy means. It means a God-given responsibility to keep them, guard them, and protect them, and preserve them. Okay? Some of you guys have daughters. You t- completely understand what that verse means, right, when it comes to your daughter and dating, right? And, and so as Paul looks at the church... The ecclesia, he says, hey, I want to make sure that I protect you, that I preserve you, that I keep you, that ultimately I present you to Christ, that you would have a sincere and pure devotion to him, which is verse 3. Verse 3 goes on and he says, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow, and let's do a little circling of words, and I added this in the last minute, somehow... um, that your minds may somehow be led, circle the word led, that actually means seduced. Okay? It means seduced. And then the word for astray means trickery. All right? So, so just think about what he's saying here. He's saying that, that I'm concerned that your mind is going to be seduced with trickery, right? And as a result of that, that you're not going to have the sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now look with me what, what sincere means. Sincere means more than single-mindedness. It means full-hearted devotion, or it means mentally honest with God. All right? Now, let's get the context here. Paul is not saying that how the enemy is going to trick our mind or seduce our mind is going to be put something out that everyone's just going to look at and go, that's just flat-out evil right there. He's going to seduce you. When someone is seduced, right, something is appealing. Something looks good. Something smells good, right? There's something to that that seduces a person's heart. And then he says he's going to seduce you with trickery. He's going to present something to you that you're going to go, wow, that sounds like, feels like the right thing. But it isn't. And it's going to draw you away from your full-hearted devotion to Christ. Okay? Again, this is the church that he's speaking about. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to believers in Jesus Christ. That, that Paul recognizes that your thinking is going to determine your feelings. It's ultimately going to control your behavior in your life. And the enemy is going to come in and he's going to seduce you. 
He's going to trick you. And you're going to look at it and you're going to go, you know what? That looks good. Because there are some things in life that when someone says it, you're like, that's just flat out evil right there. Right? And, and be honest with you, that, that's, that's probably the majority of those types of things isn't what we struggle with, is it? But he plants a little lie in our head that we kind of go, you know what? That isn't bad. A lie like, no one's going to love you. You're unlovable. Just look at you. Just a little tiny stronghold seed that's planted in our mind that we allow to grow, to take root, to, to fortify in our mind. And we begin to think about this. We looked at this last week. We begin to think about it. As a result of it, we feel it. And ultimately, we act on it in our life. Right? And this is Paul's big concern for the church. That their, that their mind is going to be seduced, led, a, led away with trickery. And as a result of it, their heart devotion to Christ isn't going to be there. Now, I just want to pause and say this. That in the context, we're not talking about losing our salvation. Because he's talking about our mind, not our spirit. He's talking about that you are going to, your, your mind and your thoughts are going to be hijacked. So let's take a look. He gives three principles. <clears throat> Number one, you must understand that your thinking shapes your feelings and actions and therefore your life. Okay? You must understand that your thinking shapes your feelings and actions and therefore your life. Now here's what we know from a scientist point of view. Actually, some professors got together. They were asked uh, to kind of determine, to, to, to bring down in kind of a very simple way of what controls a person's motivation or how to control human behavior. And here's what they come up. I'm, I just kind of, there's four points. I broke it down into just a little, a little statement there in your outline. So let's take a look. And here's what they've determined. They says, what your mind attends to, you consider. Okay, so we can all imagine we're sitting all, all imagine I'm sitting on the couch. My mind is attending to the ice cream in the garage, right? You know where I'm going with this one, right? So what your mind attends to, you consider, right? And we all agree with that. What it does not attend to, it dismisses. So if I'm sitting on my couch and I'm not thinking about ice cream, which is very rare, uh, <clears throat> if I'm not thinking about it, I'm not struggling with it. And that's why when you have experiences in your life and someone says, hey, did you turn in that report? You're like, oh, I totally forgot. It's because your mind wasn't attended to that idea and therefore it just out the, out the door it went. So what your mind attends to, it considers. What it does not attend to, it dismisses. It goes on. What it attends to continually, it believes. Ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. And I begin to believe I need ice cream, right? And then this is a whole separate note. Why is it when you dip out the ice cream, it never looks like it's enough and you always got to get a little more? And I'm using a snow shovel, right, to dip it out, right? So I don't know what my problem is, so. Uh. Let's just leave. Just put your money in the end. Let, let, the, the next service will come in and they'll sit down and they'll go, 
where's everybody at? <laughs> We're at Cold Stones. What do you think? <laughs> open, open, open. <laughs> All right, let's move on before we get lost in time here. <clears throat> so what it attends to uh, continually, it believes, and what it believes, it eventually does. Right? And here's the way the Scripture says it. Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinks within himself, so is he. Right? What you think about is ultimately going to reveal itself in behavior, in action. Right? And so as Paul speaks to them, he's concerned about their thinking and about their minds being hijacked. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, he says it this way. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do or as people who don't have a personal relationship with, with Christ. And then he says, in the futility of their thinking, the word futility in your outline, it means emptiness, it means living, or it means without having not values, but the right values. Not godly values, right? And then he goes on in verse uh, 20, and he explains to them the, the answer of that, the reason why they're thinking this. And he goes on in verse 20, and he says, you, who ha- you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Verse 21, surely you heard of him and were taught in, uh, in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires, verse 23, and to be made new in the, what's the word? Right. So where does the change happen? In our minds, right? As it begins to, as it begins to change us. So let her be in your outline. When God wants to change you, how does he change you? The renewing of your spirit in your mind. When God wants to calm you, how does he calm you? He calms you by your mind. Isaiah says, uh, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Now look at the thought underneath. So if your spiritual enemy wants to corrupt you or get you all worked up, how's he going to do it? Through your mind. And this is Paul's concern. That the church isn't thinking about what they're thinking about. That they're just shifted into autopilot. They're not concerned about it. They're not really focusing on it. And as a result of it, it is hijacking their mind. And it's ultimately leading in a behavior that is not godly and not in in a way that is honoring to him. Second principle, number two. Principle number two is you must recognize if you are not thinking. uh, Reread that. You must recognize if you are thinking on anything that is inconsistent with God's word. Okay, we looked at this a little bit last week about capturing the thought, holding it obedient to the to to Christ. Right? And again, if you weren't here, you can grab a CD or you can listen online. And this is where we need to recognize that we're thinking on things that are inconsistent with what God has to say to us and about us. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, For if some of you come, if someone comes to you and he preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we, pre- we preached, or you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted. So we have a different Jesus, we have a different spirit, and we have a different gospel. Right? If you don't recognize that, if you don't recognize what you're thinking about that is an error to the Scripture, then how are you going to be able to discount it? 
See, you're, you're not going to be able to discount it because you don't know the difference between truth, what God has to say about you, and what's in the scripture, and error, what the enemy comes to. And again, remember, the enemy is going to seduce your mind and use trickery. He, he's not going to come out with a bull-faced lie in which you look at it and go, now that's just flat-on evil right there. He's not going to do that. He's going to lure your mind away to accept it and embrace it and think, hey, that's a great idea. Why didn't I think of that earlier in life? Right? And so he's going to seduce us. He's going to use trickery to do that. And so in verse 3, if we go back a verse, it says this. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning. So how was Eve deceived? You've got to go back into Genesis chapter 3. So letter A in your outline. He's going to deceive you the same way that he deceived Eve. And here's how he did it. There are three ways in which he did it. The first one is doubt. Right? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent says to Eve, did God really say? Did God really say? Second one is denial. You will not surely die. I mean, that's not really what God meant. And then the third one is deception, verse 5. For God knows when you eat of this, your eyes will be open and you will, uh, and you will be like God. Now look at that verse. Is, does that verse scream out, that's just flat out evil? What's the enemy say to Eve? You know what? If you eat it, you're going to be like God. He's not pushing him down, Eve down, right? It appears to Eve at that moment that the enemy is saying, I'm going to elevate you. Right? That's the seduced spirit of trickery. We look at it, and who doesn't want to be like God? Right? I mean, I'm not saying that we are, we are going to be. But, but I mean, from a human standpoint, right? And so the seduction and the trickery is in verse 5. It just as clearly as can be. And so as, as he looks at, Paul looks at, and he thinks back into Genesis, and his concern is he says, listen, there's a moment where doubt kicks in, right? And you think about yourself, and you think about your position, which is going to be next week, our position in Christ. And the enemy wants to say, come into our life, and wants to place doubt in our mind about our position god couldn't really use you do you need me to remind you what you did last week you're worthless who could love you you really think you're someone serious let me just show you a few of your mistakes that you made last week right and he places doubt in our in in our life he 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 denies our position you're a co-heir with Christ. Not really. Come on. I mean, you don't really think you're adopted into God's family. Right? He places, he places that in our mind. And then just flat out deception. He tries to deceive our mind in thinking something that it isn't what it needs to be. Right? And so Paul says as he's concerned for the, for the body, is he's saying, listen, if you just, if you just allow your mind to go, you're going to be like Pastor Dan driving the wrong direction home. Your mind is just going to go on autopilot and you're going to think you still live in Antioch. And you're going to get on the freeway and you're going to head like you're going to Antioch. And then you're going to realize, oh, I don't live here anymore. And I've got to turn around and drive all the way back. Right? Because our mind, if we're not careful, we don't think about what we think about. And our mind just 
takes off. And so he says, you've got to recognize what you're thinking about. If it's inconsistent, you've got to push it away. Principle number three, and that is that you must break the unhealthy thinking patterns. You must break the unhealthy thinking patterns. And the scary part about it is this. We don't connect the dots. And we just think that everyone thinks this way because the reality is we, we, sit, we put around, sit around tables at work and so forth, and we hear other people talk, and we just assume that everyone's thinking that way. And so it becomes, quote, normal to us. But that's just the way that you're supposed to think. That everyone has insecurity. Everyone has fears. Everyone has, right? And we just reel them out. And we just embrace that. And we just think that's the way that it is. And yet when we look at Scripture and we see that that's not the way that God desires for us to think. He doesn't want our thoughts to be like that. He, he wants us to have the mind of Christ. And if you just ever want to stop and use something as kind of a benchmark, just as your mind is thinking, just hit pause and think, do you think the mind of Christ thinks this way? And see, the reality is, is there's a lot of stuff that we're thinking about, and the answer would be, eh, wrong answer. It's not the mind of Christ. And yet, as believers, we're called to have the mind of Christ in our life. And so we've got to break the unhealthy habits of thinking. So how do we do that? We looked at this a little bit last week, and that is the importance of studying God's Word. I can't say enough about that. If you're not in a community group, you need to get in a community group. Large group time is fun. We all have a great time. God does something in a corporate body of worship that He doesn't do in a small group. But listen, when it comes to getting a, gra- a grasp of the Scripture, it happens not in rows, but in circles. Okay, And that is the importance of being a part of a community group. And so if you're not, you need to get into one. Letter B in your outline is the memorizing of God's Word. Last week we gave out some handouts. They're back there on the table on the way out. If you weren't here, we gave little cards that have Scripture, memori- uh, scripture passages on to memorize. There's reading plans if you're interested in reading Scripture. There's some uh, on-the-wall grid uh, in the different areas. There's some ways of reading through the Scripture, different ways chronologically and so forth and then there's a yellow uh, yellow sheet of paper that has the passages of scripture already on it so you don't even have to bring your bible with you you can just open it up and read it and then last just to let you know we're going to go on several of you took uh the six tips to overcoming negative self-talk and that was an article in the uh on a christian website that i printed out if you wrestle with that we made more copies you can grab some on the way out and if you have friends who have struggles with that, you're more than welcome to take that for them as well. So the importance of memorizing God's Word. Letter C is to meditate upon God's Word. And we're going to use this as a, as a, a little test. Just as last week, we talked about how to capture a thought, hold it to be obedient to Christ. Let's practice meditation together. Are you ready? Sit on the floor. No, I'm just kidding. Here's what David says. And this is important to get a hold of how, what, he, what he's thinking. Now watch this. In Psalms 43, verse 3. Here's what it says. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in darkness like those long dead. Now just stop. That's his frame of mind. He's depressed. He's discouraged. He feels isolated. He feels all alone. 
He feels like his enemy, in this case they were pursuing to, to literally kill him, but he says the enemy is after him to kill him. He's running for his life. And this is his mindset, right? And this is, this is a very powerful uh, principle to grab a hold of and understand how he shifts from this mindset to something completely different, right? So if you get the idea, he's being pursued. He's not in a good place. He's in a very difficult place. In fact, in verse five, uh, four, goes on and explains what he's going through. And he says, so my spirit grows faint. That means heavy-hearted. That's, that's almost to a point where if you've ever gotten a phone call about something that has happened in life that's catastrophic and you're sick to your stomach, you get the phone call, you hear it, and instantly you become sick to your stomach. That's what he's feeling. He feels his, his spirit, and it's not like the spirit being born again, that kind of thing, but just inside of him, his heart is at a place where he's absolutely sick to his stomach within him. And he says, my heart within me is dis- dismayed. It means depressed. It means alone. It means in a place of darkness. All right? So, you got the idea? Now watch how he changes from that mindset to something completely different. Verse 5. He says, I remember, and you can circle the word remember, it means, it, it, it means I recall the actions of God. Okay? I remember the days of long ago. So here's what he does. Huge, folks, huge. Pay attention. This is an opportunity where he recognizes what he's thinking on. He presses pause in his thinking. He doesn't continue to meander in darkness, in depression, in discouragement, in isolation, in all that type of stuff. He presses pause. He makes a choice to reach back into his life to recall the actions of God in his life. All right? It is a willful decision to press pause. That's why it's important that we're thinking about what we're thinking about. Because if you're not thinking about what you're thinking about, you just continue and meander in this miserable state of mind, right? He presses pause. Verse 5, he reaches back and he remembers the actions of God. In his life, God had been very active. For some of you, you may not have all the stories and, and experiences of others. Maybe you need to recall what God is doing and has done in the lives of other people. How God has answered prayer and has, God has changed your heart and changed someone else's life and provided for you. And so he reaches back and he pulls that back into his life. And he goes on and he says, I meditate. That word means murmur. It actually means that you're speaking under your breath Have you ever walked around the house and you're just kind of saying things, but you're not really saying them out loud? You know, for other people to hear, you're kind of talking to yourself, right? That's what that word means, that you're walking around and you're just talking about how good God is, his blessings in his life, and he's provided and he's answered prayer and he's done this and he's done that. And you're just kind of walking, self-talking what God's activity has been in your life. You're murmuring what God is doing. He says, so I meditate on all your works and I consider what your hands have done. 
So not only do I murmur and I walk through and I just think through of all the cool things, God, you've done, but you know what I do sometimes? I sit in the backyard and the sky is clear and the stars and I just sit back and I just think, the God that scattered the stars into the sky is a God who knows me by name and a God who's called me out of darkness into light and how God has changed my identity as someone who's hell-bound and reached down and he saved my soul. And I recall that, and I remember, and I meditate, and I walk around the house, and I say, God, you rescued my soul. I used to be this way. I used to have all those wants and all those desires. And your grace, the one who flung the stars in the skies, you reach down and you grab my little self, and you put me up on higher ground, and you said, you are a child of God. You are co-heirs with Christ. You've been adopted into the family of God, right? You can clap. It's fine. And I walk around the house and everyone can call me crazy or whatever the case is, but you walk around, thank you, we got two crazy people in here. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I'll go there. (laughs) Oh no, I see somebody in a white white robe (laughs) and he's got a suit for me, all right. (laughs) All right, I'm just kidding, just disregard that. Hit backspace, we got a room full of crazy people in here, right? And we've been adopted into the family of God. And you walk around, right, and you think on that. That's what it is to meditate on it. But if you're not thinking about what you're thinking about, where do you go? You go what he does in verse 4 and 5. I'm lonely, I'm miserable, my enemies are after me, I'm depressed, I'm discouraged, no one likes me, I have no friends, no one will love me, Right? Someone's going to kick me to the curb. If they haven't, I'm just going to sit on the, on the curb because I might as well get kicked to the curb, right? I deserve getting kicked to the curb, right? And so that's just how we live, right? Because we're not thinking about what we're thinking about. And our mind just goes off into the weeds. And next week, we're going to talk about applying God's word, our position in Christ. One small word that radically changes our perspective. But here's what I want to give you as as you leave. What are you thinking about? I didn't ask how are you acting or how are you feeling? Because the reality is those are irrelevant. If you want to know about your feelings, you can go sit on a couch and talk to somebody, right? If you want to know about your behavior, just ask your spouse or your kids and they will tell you. Pastor Dan is interested in what you're thinking about. Because that is going to control the other two. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Father, thank you for your grace in our life. Thank you as as we sit here and we jokingly say that we're all crazy. We are crazy for you, Lord. And we want to live our life for you. We want to have the mind of Christ in our life. Lord, we want to be radically changed in our mind and, and recognize who we are not because we're good, not because we're perfect, not because we're uh, anything other that we are in you, in your amazing grace. Lord, you have reached down from the heavens and you have rescued our soul. And Lord, we are so grateful for that. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you've never entered into a personal relationship with Christ. And I want to encourage you to do that. It's the best decision you could ever make in your entire life. And that is to invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And we do a little ABC just to kind of help us 
walk through. A is admit that we're sinners. There is every person in this room is a sinner. We've all made mistakes. We've all missed the mark of, uh, of, of godliness. B is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he died on a cross and that he rose again. And C is to confess him as your Lord and Savior. And if that's your heart's desire today, as I say this prayer, just silently repeat after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, today, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I missed the mark. And today, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he died on a cross and that he rose again. And today, I confess him to be my Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you for loving me. Lord, thank you for saving me. Lord, thank you for giving me a new heart, a new mind, and a new life. And we give you all the praise with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Father, as we give back to you a portion of what you blessed us with, Lord, we want to give with a cheerful heart. We know that you love a cheerful giver. And we recognize, Lord, that as we give, that is when we are most like you. You're a good, loving, and giving God. And Father, we pray that you'll take this offering, that you'll bless it, to the, use it to the furthering of your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said...